Well, I need to be on good behavior tonight, uh, even if Pastor Chris isn't here today. I know words would get back, and so, uh, but especially I need to be good on, on good behavior. Uh, if I go more than an hour or so, uh, my, my, my son in the back will be pushing the mute button. And he also said, no embarrassing stories. Or, uh, <laughs> so if you want, to hear, you want to hear the inside story about Andy, then uh, we'll do that. Another, there's there's one, uh, one or two family stories we won't talk about tonight. Um, Zechariah 4, we're going to get into that, and uh, before we go any further, uh, we need to read it, and Anne's going to come up and read to us, and those that are able, stand with us as we hear God's word, okay? Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up, like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a gold, solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out of the capstones to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand is Zerubbabel. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, do you know, not, not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Thank you, and Father, uh, um, bless the reading of your word, and now as we get into it, guide us and bless us, and give us insight and application, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Zechariah 4, interesting passage, it's been an interesting series about prophecy, whenever we get into prophecy, it's both predictive, sometimes it's a prophecy of judgment, and very often it's also a prophecy of encouragement. And I think especially tonight, we get words of encouragement, words of hope, words of grace. And I'd like us to uh, look at that a little bit. Uh, about four years ago, uh, when we knew we had our first grandchild on the way, we got this, this magnet, like, uh, like Pastor Mike was saying, that we needed to locate down here. And so we, I, as uh, among other things, I've been a realtor, so I started following the listings, and I came down here to see a house that was... Uh, uh, in our price range, with, which meant cheap. Uh, and uh, I, I got, let myself into the house, and it was old, it was decrepit, it was forgotten, no functional AC system. I uh, looked in the backyard, the javelinas were living in the backyard, and uh, decay described that house. And I thought about that, well, uh, actually, uh, three and a half years later, it's turned into a pretty nice place uh, with a whole lot of help from some of you and some of the folks on Sunday and, and uh, weekend warrior business and you know painting and all those type of things. In very little ways, 
something that was full of decay has turned into a blessing. In fact, maybe you heard about the, this gathering we had at our home a couple of weeks ago for pastors. We had pastors from about 10 or 12 different churches uh, for a day of prayer, and it was fun to see that property be used in that way. Um, you know, when Ju Jesus looked over Jerusalem, and it said that he saw the city and he wept because the people were like sheep without a shepherd. They needed... Uh, a shepherd. And he also saw, though, the potential of what could be. And, of course, we know Jesus' ministry. Zechariah, his uh, ministry is to the remnant, to the people that were carted off into captivity, into Babylon. And his ministry is to speak about the hope of what could be. And uh, from desolation to hope. And the message from Zechariah 4, we have tonight, is one that God will do his promised work. In spite of dire circumstances, God restored his temple for his glory and for his people. And that message is also one of hope for us. Because as I look at this guy we're going to talk about, Zerubbabel, he wasn't the perfect leader. He made some mistakes, probably ruled by fear. And that's also hope for us because in spite of our failures, God can do something beautiful. And I think we'll see that tonight. So we have a, a prophecy in this chapter, one vision with two parts, two explanations. And we'll get into that. Um, first, let's go to the slide there. Can you read it? Is it large enough? I'm sorry. I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl on the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels uh, to the lamps. And there also are two olive trees by it, one on the right end of the bowl and one on the left. So the first part of the vision is the vision about the lamp stand. In fact, we have a, you go on to the next slide, there's the artists have rendered there. This is kind of what it looked like, uh, you know, the menorah with the, with the, the lamp stand with the seven lights. Uh, and, uh, and then there was a bowl above it that was feeding oil to the lamps, and then branches and trees. And so it probably was much prettier than what actually the artist can envision. But that's, that's what we have there. And of course, verses 2 and 3 tell us about, well, we get some of the symbolism there. Gold, uh, perfection, something real valuable, solid gold, beauty. Uh, ex uh, Exodus 25 tells us about the lampstand that was that Israel was to make uh, to be on the side of the altar where the lights were always burning. And the priests had to come and refill that regularly because the oil would run out. But this picture is a little different, isn't it? Uh, it was part of the worship. And then, of course, we have the, the topic, uh, the, the, the theme of seven. There were seven lights. That's a biblical theme. Uh, there were seven days of creation. And uh, then God rested on the seventh day. There were seven days in the siege of Jericho. We, we hit up against this, this seven. And so Israel, in hearing this prophecy, they would have gotten that about the lampstand, and they would have gotten that about gold, and they would have gotten that about the number seven. The symbolism would have been clear. But then another part of that, of this prophecy, was not clear. Verse 4, verse 11, and verse 12 uh, Zechariah himself, who's, who is portraying this, this prophecy, but he's saying, Lord, what are these things? 
I don't understand it. Can you please explain it? It was difficult to understand. And so now we go on to the explanation, the first part of it, and that's in uh, uh, verses 6 and 7. But it's, and it's a word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, the name just means son of Babylon. He was born there. He was actually in the lineage of Jesus, and he was the grandson of Jehoiachin. And Jehoiachin was the last king of Judah. Remember? And then they were, the, Jerusalem was sacked, and they were carted off to Babylon. And this was the last king, and he's the grandson. And he is given charge to go back to Judah in service of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, and then later of Darius. Uh, and he's given charge to be the governor of Judah and to rebuild the temple. Of course, it's always interesting when God can use secular people to accomplish something spiritually very powerful, very important. Um, and so we find out, need to find out a little bit more about Zerubbabel. He went back and he started to rebuild the temple, and somehow it didn't happen that fast. It didn't happen that quickly. In fact, we learn in Haggai, the, the previous prophet, um, that it had taken some 16 years and it still wasn't done. Um, there was complacency, there was opposition. Um, and Zerubbabel, although he made an attempt, my guess is there was uncertainty and fear. If you re read Nehemiah and Ezra, the Palestinians were opposing any attempt to rebuild Jerusalem, the temple and the walls around of the city. And so they were afraid. And so what did they do? Haggai 1 verse 3 says, God says, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Hmm. So they were somehow afraid to build the temple, and they got sidetracked, and they started building their own houses. Now, whether that's self-centeredness or whatever that is, um, Zerubbabel was not able to fulfill his mission. Bottom line, Zerubbabel was not a perfect leader. He got sidetracked. Gives me hope, because a lot of us are not perfect either, right? Haggai 1 verse 12, though, goes on, and if you, got the, if you flip over to that, it says, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtilt, and Joshua, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the, verse, the voice of the Lord. And Haggai 2 verse 23 says, I have chosen you. Now, your work has, the work hasn't gotten complete, but don't worry about it, because I have chosen you. We're going to get this done. Interesting. And that's the backdrop we have with Zechariah 4. In fact, that reminds me of Isaiah 43, also to Israel in captivity, where Isaiah uh, said that the, uh, portrayed what the Lord said, where the Lord says, you are precious in my sight. I love you. I have chosen you. Why is it that God chooses? Why does he choose us? Undeserved. Unmerited favor, we say. Well, I guess we don't really know. He is God, not us, right? But he has chosen. And when he chooses, he does it. And that is the backdrop to four, chapter 4. So we've got, in spite of the setbacks, and in spite of 
uh, these flaws. We have verse 6, that, first, that verse that we all know. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. We'll work a little bit later. We'll come back and we'll work on application on this. But first, just what does it mean? Not by might. That's got to do with um, collective might, like a great army or political power. And God says, it's not going to be because you've got the greatest army or you've got all the laborers you could possibly need. That's not how the temple's going to get rebuilt. And it's not by power, by your individual power, but that you're the greatest leader that ever came or that you've got the best ideas or the best tricks. That's not what it's about. It's not going to be the great armies. It's not because you're the greatest leader. It's going to be because of my spirit. Not dependent on his skills, his strength, his army, but back to that theme. I chose you. We will do this. And it goes on in verse 7 about the mighty mountain. Zerubbabel will make it level ground. And uh, uh, there's nothing that was going to stop this process. He laid the foundation. He's going to lay the capstone. Verses 8 and 10 say, we will get the job done from foundation to capstone. And then I like in verse 10 here. I don't know if you, you heard that. The seven eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth and will rejoice. Does that remind you of another scripture? I bet that some of us thinking, yeah, Second Chronicles 16.9, which was some maybe 100 years prior. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth. What? That he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Interesting. Question for us. If God wants to support us, he wants to choose us, is my heart his so that he can do that? Okay. Also in verse 10, who despises the day of small things? You know, in first reading through that, I thought, what is this? It's day of small things, day of small things. And then it occurred to me, maybe I don't despise, but... Maybe I don't notice some of the small things that God is, is at work doing. You know, some of those small answers to prayer or some of those things we pray about, but then we, we forget to even think about expectantly that maybe that's actually going to happen. When we despise the day of small things, I think we overlook or maybe we're functional, functionally forgetting, functionally agnostic, I'm not sure, but we're not really counting on God to work. We ask a prayer just in passing, and then we go about doing our thing. The day of small thing, it's so easy to ignore what God is doing. Because changes, although they're very small, can cause very large ripple effects and results, right? Amen. Those small things, and some of them, aren't they just small attitude shifts? I had a couple come see me this past week, and about six weeks ago, they came for the first time. They were pretty discouraged. Uh, just a regular professional couple working and kids and stuff, and they were pretty discouraged and uh, irritable with each other, finding each other's faults and things. And they came back now uh, uh, this week, and I said, how's it going? I said, actually, really, really good. I said, well, what's changed? And they said a few things, but basically, their attitude toward each other was changing. 
They were doing some things intentionally. They were praying together. They were spending intentional time together. They were cutting each other some slack. And it was the day of small things, little, little things that were making, turning into a huge difference, not only for them, but for their kids and for, I'm certain, for a lot of other people. That was that situation. Uh, small things uh, answered prayer four years ago when, uh, you know, the past years with, with our move and all the different things about Tucson or what God is at work doing here in great times and in times of loss. We've had several that have gone through real loss, but that, that, that God is still at work and he's changing. And the day of small things, how is God working in your life these days? Do you see those small things he wants to do, those answers to prayer? The small things that cause big results. Let's go on to the second part of the vision. So in verse 3 and then verse 11 and 12, we have two olive trees standing on both sides of this lampstand. And the two olive trees have branches. And the branches have uh, tubes or pipes that are filling the bowl, which is then filling the the lamps, interesting picture. Um, and Zechariah was saying, Lord, what is this? Um, and do you have a picture of that there, Rich? If not, go on. We'll, we'll keep going. But the oil is resupplied because the, 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 the trees and the branches, the tubes feeding oil into it, and ongoing so that the priest doesn't come, have to come and keep refilling. It, the oil will never run out. And doesn't that remind you of what God's unending blessing wants to be for us? Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23, we could start singing it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The concept that it's flowing, it keeps going, and keep, we keep relying, and he keeps bringing it. Like the, like the children of Israel in the desert, they went out to pick up the manna every day. And that's the concept we have here. Here the oil is flowing, and it's flowing, and, and the, the lights are shining. Verse 14, he says a little more specifically, what are these tubes? And verse 14 says, these are the two anointed to serve the Lord, Zerubbabel and Joshua. So governor and priest, not Joshua that fought the battle. Joshua, the high priest. And the theme then again, God chose his servants and he's going to accomplish what he chose. You remember in John 15, lots of things in that passage, but John 15, verse 16, where Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. We didn't choose him. He chose us. I don't know why. Just like, just like Zechariah and Zerubbabel and Joshua, imperfect, uh, we're supposed to go and bear fruit. So bottom line, if we think about this, what do we have? Well, God chooses us. He empowers us. He blesses us. All to his glory and all to our blessing. So back to verse, verse 6. I promise that we come back to that. But by my spirit, what does that mean for us? 
not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Do we rely on God? Do we count on his spirit? John 15 that I mentioned a little earlier, of course, we're here at the vineyard, right? As the vine cannot, as the, you know, the, abide in me and I in you, as the branches cannot bear fruit of themselves unless they're in the vine, that concept. And God wants to work in us. He chose us, he wants to work in us, and we have to stay connected with him. Why do you suppose Zerubbabel needed to hear this message? Well, fear, insecurity, discouragement, 16 years of it. But God didn't give up. He says, wait a minute, we're going to get this done. You're my chosen one. Why do we need to hear this? We're going to get this done. Romans 12, verse 3. Everyone should have an accurate estimation of who they are, not to think more highly of themselves, pride, or false, or, you know, or not to think more lowly of themselves, false humility, but have an accurate estimation. True humility is to recognize our limitations, but also recognize our potential with God's help. So I asked myself in kind of wrapping this up, Ask myself this question. How should I let God work by my spirit? How should I let by my spirit come true for me? And these are some thoughts and applies to Tom. Maybe it'll have, apply to you, brothers and sisters. Number one, let God speak to you. Sounds basic. Jesus said, or the father said to Jesus at the transfiguration, this is my son, listen to him. <laughs> you think... That ought to be pretty basic. I had a client this week who said, yeah, I'm really, I'm really working at spending time in the Word, but not just going through the regular routine of the quiet time. He says, I'm really trying to focus in and say, what is God saying to me? So to be in the Word and let God speak to us. Number two, this is important for me, don't get in the way. And don't try to help God out with your latest schemes. I've tried so many schemes over the years. I'm sure Barbara could list them all, but I've, I'm sure I've forgotten them all. Somehow, I keep coming back, and I think, well, I need to help God with this. I don't say that, you know, but, but I keep coming. And maybe in one way, it's ideas, and it's uh, uh, taking initiative. In another way, though, sometimes I need to sit and rest and say, Lord, what is it you want me to do? Number three, don't limit God's work by your own lack of might or power. I'm overwhelmed. I can't do this, therefore it can't be done. The message is, if I chose you, we're going to get this done. That's the message. Number four, count on God to work. Then discover what your role in his work is. Two more. Give him thanks and give him the glory. And last, Hang on to hope, hang on to hope, going from desolation to completion, going from discouragement to victory, because God can take imperfect people to accomplish something beautiful to God's glory and blessing for us. Let's pray.
Father, I want to thank you for this word from Zechariah. I thank you that even though we don't deserve it, uh, you chose us. You chose us to, and you allow us to, to know you. And you chose us to be part of, of your work. Thank you, thank you, that you are so good to us. Thank you for the promise of ongoing blessing. They're new every morning. And thank you for your fellowship. Thank you that we're not left by ourselves, that we're not alone. Thank you that you're good. Be honored in our lives, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.